Welcome to the Cashflow Legends Podcast with your hosts, Nate, Brandon, and Brock. Remember, our insights are not direct financial advice, so consult with your financial team before making any decisions based on the topics discussed in this show. All right, welcome back to Cashflow Legends. I'm here with my two main fellas, Nate and Brock. Guys, I'm excited today to dive into what really brought us all together. If you were really to dig down into how did Nate and Brandon and Brock all get connected, uh, you could say that it ties into financial freedom, wealth creation, wealth protection. But at the root of it, it is definitely uh, something known as the infinite banking concept. And I'm going to give a little high level overview just real quick that the infinite banking concept comes from a book written by Nelson Nash and a mindset known as becoming your own banker. The cool thing is, is that it plays a huge role in Nate and I's journey that ends up connecting and colliding us with Brock and his journey. And we start learning how long Brock's known what infinite banking is in his life and his dad's life. So I want to encourage everybody to understand this. We're always teaching you how to keep more of what you earn so you can earn more with what you keep. This plays a vital role in that. And I really want to just jumpstart this off by saying, guys, hope you guys are well. And Brock, why don't you start with just a real simple thought process on at a kindergarten level, what is what does the infinite making concept mean to you? How has it played a role in your life? And then we'll pass it over to Nate and get his insight. All right. So the question is, describe it at a kindergarten level. Mm-hmm. So one, this is a, the infinite banking process is a process, not just a simple product or procedure. It is a process of thinking and capturing your dollars in a way to create more than one job on the dollar that you have. Um, when it comes to my own life and how it has impacted me, one, I have multiple policies that I put a lot of money through. And the way that I typically use it as I have grown up is when I have business opportunities, that is where my investments come from. Um, I have one policy that is act, that acts as my emergency fund for my businesses and my, my own life. Um, or what I like to call my peace of mind fund. And then I have another, um, which is mainly for my bigger investments um, and stacking capital a little bit quicker. Um, I've used it recently to be a part of a large mastermind group and um, that went pretty well um, and have been able to pay that back over time without interrupting the compound growth of those dollars. Okay. Very cool. Nate, what do you think? Well, um, you know, someone challenged me uh, a while back to, you know, break this down in a in a simple way where maybe a five year old could understand it. And and I don't even remember if this was like an original thought or if it was something that was taught to me along the way. But the analogy that I use so often is. You know, imagine you and I are standing outside a convenience store and you said, hey, I'm hungry. I'm going to go 
grab something in inside the store you had a dollar in your pocket you walk in you grab a candy bar because a candy bar costs a dollar you walk out and i said what if i could walk in that same store just like you did with a dollar just like you did and legally walk out with not only a candy bar but also a coke and a bag of chips obviously i knew something about my dollar that you didn't know obviously there was my dollar created more value for me, but it was based on the information and, and what I was doing with mine. And so, as, as Brock said, the, the idea with the process of infinite banking is simply creating more jobs for your dollars, giving your dollar the ability to do more than one thing. And the smartest, most successful people in the world understand the principle of leveraging time and money. And leverage is the key principle in the concept or the process of becoming your own banker is understanding how to use leverage but unfortunately the word leverage uh, in the traditional financial world everyone when they hear that word they automatically hear the word risk that goes with it and the when you become your own banker when you create an environment that you get to control you can apply the principle of leverage properly without the risk that would typically be associated with it. I think it's very important for all of those points that Brock and Nate made. And thanks for breaking that down at that level is this Nelson emphasized, like Brock said, this is a process. Okay. So what you're going to notice in our podcast is that we're not ever going to tell you what to do. In fact, if you hear us telling you what to do, we want you to email us and say, hey, I thought you said you weren't going to do that. Because the reality is, is this is about how we think. And if you're not willing to think about how you think, then you're probably not ready to change anything in your financial life. Okay, so that has to be the first thing. So I know Brock and Nate and I talk all the time about how excited we get when somebody kind of starts realizing that something different than what they've been taught to do. And then we're off to the races on helping them strategize, game plan, evaluate what are opportunistic ways to do it. And here's the thing. Nate and Brock both mentioned multiple uses of a dollar. When your dollar does more than one thing while you're sleeping, you can accomplish more quicker. It's as simple as that. I think I read a quote the other day where Warren Buffett said, you better figure out a way to make your money work while you're sleeping or you'll be broke forever or something like that. So if I were going to describe it as a kindergartner, that would be it. Does your money work for you while you're sleeping? And here's the thing that let's kind of piggyback that into the next thought. I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I hear words like financial or words put together like financial security or the things that come from the traditional way I was taught before I knew about infinite banking. I'm not going to lie to you guys because I've already seen the other side. Now it makes me cringe a little bit. And this is why, because what I've learned is, is that words that we're told by certain groups are often words put together to, to make us think we're getting what we want. And it's actually these little invisible handcuffs that are being put on us. This is my journey. I'm not telling you of anybody else's. So you look up and you're Brandon Goswick and you're 15 years into working a career and you look in your retirement account and you got 60 grand. 
and you've only got 50 years or 15 years left to work and you're going, I'm not real smart, but this math does not add up. I don't see how this is possible for me to retire as a teacher and get these things. So I want you guys, because you interact with a ton of people to maybe touch on how you view financial security, but more importantly, how you help ask questions as people are coming to this new way of thinking to help them rethink their thinking like Nelson talked about so much. I like that. Nate, you want to go first for me? Yeah. So when I think about um, financial security, what I used to think about financial security and what people think about financial security today is uh, typically it's going to be get a good education, get a good job, get a good 401k and you'll be all right. You know, uh, uh, that's sadly, that's what most people are following. And when you look at statistics and we, I shared this in a previous episode where we talked about, uh, Fidelity's report for, uh, boomers and how much they have in their 401k, you know, a little over $200,000 in their 401k right now. And those are the ones who are getting close to retirement or, or already, you know, moving into retirement. And it's very obvious that there's something that's broken in that system, in that structure. And then that, in that line of thinking and what we see is this vicious cycle the conventional wisdom has basically just taught us to be a good taxpayer. Conventional wisdom teaches you to uh, go to school, get a good job, uh, get some student loans along the way when you go to Take school. Take the match. Get a good job. Um, you know, buy a house, buy a car, all that. You know, it. But eventually, you see the cycle where it all ends up back in the government's hands at some point when you just continue to follow that model. And that is the false security that we have been programmed to believe. That was good. I would add to that. So <clears throat> there's four rules to all institutions, the big three of what we might call them, government, corporations, and financial institutions. They want our money on a consistent, systematic basis over a long period of time. Those are the first two rules. The second two is that they want to hold on to it for as long as possible. So when when they when you want your money back, they're going to give it back to you in the smallest increments as possible over the longest period of time. And you might say, uh, well, you know, Brock, could you prove that? Well, they want our money on a consistent, systematic basis. Your 401k is automatically deducted from your paycheck. You don't even have to think about it. It's easy. Every single paycheck you can you can get gets deposited right into that account, and I'm not and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But if the only thing that you ever do is put your money in something like a 401k or 403b, you will always and forever be taxed the highest um, tax rates because it's earned income. The second is they want to hold on to that money as long as possible. Okay, well, how do they do that? Penalties, the fear of taxes. Say, so well, you can't touch your money until 59 and a half. Well, you can. There's just rules around how you can get to it. And then it kind of flips the scripts to say, okay, well, um, when you want your money back, they also want to hold on to it for as long as possible, and they want to give it to you in the smallest increments as possible. How do they do that? Well, they tell you, oh, well, just, you know, 
buy term insurance and cancel it when you retire. Well, when you cancel your life insurance around the assets that you own, you now have to subject yourself to only taking interest only payments or a safe withdrawal rate, which means those are about 4%, 3%, depending on the math that you do. So how many millions of dollars do you have to have to create the income that you need during retirement? So in today's world, you know, financial success, kind of what you said, Nate, looks at, you know, get a good degree, get a good job, have a nice 401k, have a paid off house and some money in the bank. And, you know, this is okay, but there is more to life than just stacking a dollar on top of another dollar. Because what most people do, and, and there used to be a commercial about this where people would walk around and you'd see at a big number above their head. You know, what's your yeah. number? Well, we have to ask ourselves, do we want a big retirement account or do we want a big retirement income? Because at the end of the day, cash flow is what pays the bills, not an account balance. And we have to be very important or we have to be very diligent on where we accumulate money because at some point we have to distribute that money. And if the account that we're putting our money in only works for accumulation, but hinders us on distrib distribution, well then we're kind of hurting ourselves, but not even realizing where we're just going to kick the can down the road um, much further. So those are all excellent points. And in all of your, both of your explanations, what I really hear from that is, is it's more about how we've been conditioned to think first, you know, and I always get to interact with people and I'll say, Hey, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little homework. And they're like, what is it? You know, and I'm like, I want you to go to work and I want you to just sit around the lunch table or the water cooler or wherever. Okay. If, if it's someone working, you know, a W2 job and listen, I worked a W2 job for 15 years. I, 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 we all want to emphasize this having a W2 job. There's nothing wrong with that. If you love it and you enjoy it and you want to do it, what we take a ton of pride in is showing you how to eliminate the guesswork so you can know for sure that you can work that as long as you want to with no stress. Or if you ever want to change your season of life, you can change it. But I'll challenge them. I'll go sit around the water cooler and listen for anyone discussing the things we are currently discussing in our client meeting. And come back and tell me when you found somebody. And hardly ever, it's like once in a blue moon, do they come across somebody who is not having the traditional conversations of, well, you should take the match and the auto payment of your 401k or the auto, you know, uh, withdrawal or, you know, taxes are killing me or all these negative things, yet they continue to do it. And so then we have to ask why. And we could probably have a whole episode on why, but here's the, just the simple premise herd mentality that we're all guilty of at some point or another and fitting in can lead us to our detriment before we, you know, we may not even realize it because we like to be accepted. I mean, hardly anyone I know is like, I hate, I want to just be an absolute jerk and don't want anybody to like me. Like, you don't, you just don't hear that very often. So how does this all tie in? So let's touch on this thought process. How does infinite banking and the process. Okay. So let's just add another layer in. We're all Nelson emphasized what that was that 
the process of banking goes on in our life forever. We're going to pay for things. We're going to finance things. We're going to send money. We're going to receive money. It's going to happen forever. Doesn't matter what the medium of exchange is, whether it's cash or Bitcoin or sheep or goats or land, it's going to happen. So what he was trying to get us to understand is that's going to happen. How often can you benefit from that process is really what he was trying to get us to think about. And those big three that Brock talked about have done a really good job of spending billions of dollars in marketing to make you think they're going to do what's best for you to get your dollar, to hold it as long as possible and to return it to you as late as possible, as slow as possible. So what do you guys know that this mindset shift creates in regard to financial certainty without having to chase risk? Y'all talk to me about certainty and risk and how those go together and how that really may, you know, risk may not have to be associated with creating certainty. So with when, when I hear certainty and I think about the way most people are operating today, uh, we're kind of taught that if we defer taxes down the road, that that's a good thing. But the way my mind works is when we are kicking the can down the road on taxes, we are effectively creating an unknown debt to the government to be determined by them at a later date. Mm. I love the idea of getting taxes out of the way, getting the getting the, the certain things that I know that I can deal with right now so that I don't have to worry about dealing with those in the future. So I like the idea of taxes being taken care of up front so that I get to enjoy the growth of everything else. And, and one of the things that I think is so important for people to understand is when you are creating this tax burden for yourself in later years in life, you're creating a lot of uncertainty later in life when you need the most certainty. I mean, think about the number of people that you know that retired and had to go back to work because the cost of living went up and that's not something that they planned for. And when they retired, they were looking at their, their account balances and they felt really good, but they forgot that they hadn't paid taxes on that stuff yet. That's good. Brock, what about you? Can you quickly give me the question? Again? Yeah, so talk to me about how the world is taught to believe about financial certainty and, you know, risk. Okay. Yeah. And what we know that we want to teach people if they want to learn. So what the world teaches us, what financial institutions teach us is that there's this connotation that high risk equals high reward. When in reality, that's a false sense of reality. High risk does not always mean high reward. High risk means higher chance of loss. And what most people don't realize is we can lower our risk in an investment by having a few things. More control over the investment, more knowledge over the investment, more experience in the investment, and having an excess of cash to put in the investment. Like, for example, I have a client, or he's not a client, he's a, a great friend of mine um, and mentor that I look up to. 
in probably five years or less, he'll, he'll be a billionaire. And what he does is he goes and buys restaurants, longstanding restaurants who have real estate. And he's been doing this for years. And you know what the funny part is? Right now, restaurants would be considered the most risky asset yeah, out there. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> but yet, over and over again, he can look at this deal and close one after the other, and he's profitable. The other day, we had lunch at one of his restaurants that he's buying. And I'm like, man, if I stepped into this, this would be the highest risk for me because I have no idea how to operate a, mm. a business like a restaurant. I know the real estate, but the real estate has to come with the restaurant. And so we have to understand that most of the time when we invest in things, the risk is in the investor, not the investment. And there's a lot of kind of, I don't know if connotation is the right word here, but there's a difference in the false certainty that's put out there. So most people would say, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to be in a lower tax bracket when I retire. Okay, well, what has to require us to be in a lower tax bracket when we retire? One, which is so hopeful, I have no idea why anybody would trust it, but the government lowering tax brackets. <laughs> the, the other one, which would be make less income, which makes total sense because in retirement, every day is Saturday. So yeah, you're definitely <laughs> spending less money, right? Mm -hmm. Wrong. You lose all your tax benefits. You are playing every day. There's some people out there that say there's the go-go years, the slow-go years, and then the no-go years of retirement. Well, how do we plan to have the maximum amount of money in the highest tax bracket while paying the least amount of taxes, right? That's what I would want rather than making the least amount of income. So I'm in the lowest amount of lowest tax bracket out there. So we need to have an understanding of the definitions of words like mm -hmm. retirement savings is complete baloney. Unless you're sitting in cash in your retirement plan, that's not savings. That's investing. And the only guarantee that Brock, you can go back and say that again, unless what, unless your retirement is sitting in cash, hmm. it's not savings. It's investing. And what does investment and investing mean? Investing is where you're putting your money into something with a hopeful rate of return that at a later date, you will have a greater amount of money, but you also have, the notice of, hey, the only guarantee we have here is that we could lose all of our money. So what you're saying is that retirement savings, which is often how it's portrayed, is actually taking on the potential of risk for potential loss with no guarantee, but a hopeful return. Correct. It is an investment. It's an investment. When you, when you put your money in there, you are investing in funds, target date funds, mutual funds, things that you are hoping to have a rate of return on so that the mm -hmm. day that you retire, the money that you've socked away all these years is at a much greater uh, number. And then you have to hope again that it lasts as long as you do. And unfortunately, hope is not a very good economic strategy. Absolutely. All right. So the the high risk, high reward conversation reminds me of a conversation I was having with a buddy of mine the other day. And I think I think there's some some similarities here. So uh, one is the importance of 
thinking about things different than the way you're taught to think about those things, which rethink your thinking is something that we always go back to and we teach and we encourage. But uh, the reason I say that is because I was talking to a buddy of mine about how in my older age, as I've gotten older, I tend to drive slower than I used to drive in my younger You've years. always dri- driven slow since I've known you, but okay. Well, that's because when I was 16, I rolled my truck. And uh, so I started slowing down after that. Um, now, I got my first speeding ticket when I was in college. And then I really started slowing down after that because I had to deal with my dad. That's a whole nother story. So anyways, I've just gotten to the point where I... I often don't even drive the speed limit. I drive under it a little bit. Um, But I was talking to a buddy of mine and I was talking to him about how, you know, 10, 15 years ago when they raised the speed limit to like 75 in Texas. And, And I don't know if that's nationwide, but I just remember it happening in Texas. And my theory, and I think this can be proven, is that a higher speed limit is a tax on the public in two two ways one it increases risk of loss whether that be property damage or loss of life which increases our insurance premiums on the on the the auto side and the healthcare side and also it makes our vehicles less efficient you know which means we're paying more in gas and he was like, man, I've never thought about that before. And um, But again, that goes back to we've got to think about things differently. We've got to be willing to take a step back and look at how everything's being pushed on us and question those things. Um, but that high risk, high reward, like just because the speed limit is 75 doesn't mean that that's going to make a huge difference in my life. But it definitely puts a lot more risk on me. Yeah. So to, what you're basically saying is, is if I really ran the numbers and I just drove 70 everywhere instead of 75, I'd probably get there a little more safely with a little less risk and maybe be a little less stressed. And the extra five miles per hour at the end of the day may have a diminishing return and the grand result that I'm trying to accomplish, which is getting where I'm trying to go. Um, now, what I, we need to do is let everyone in the nation right now adopt this mindset, <laughs> and we can pay lower insurance premiums. Let, let me say this. <laughs> Nate, I gotta tell, Nate and I went to Arizona, and if you've ever driven in Arizona on any of the main <laughs> racetracks that revolve around the city of Arizona, everybody's doing 90. That is the average speed. And Nate's driving 65, and we're about to get run over. And I'm like, bro, you got to you gotta lay the hammer down. All right, so we, we've got to first understand that words matter. Nelson talked about this a lot. You know, misclassification of words or a word being used a lot that we believe means one thing, like investing. Okay, nobody ever says, oh, I'm a great investor and immediately thinks... I love taking risk. Okay. They think it means something that creates guarantees. So here's where I want to kind of connect some dots on always being willing to learn and how we all operate together. And really what's been a beautiful connection and 
getting to know Brock and working with his, him and his dad and just learning so many new things. We're not going to tell you ever what to do, but like Brock said earlier, hope is not a financial strategy. Okay. It's not an approach. So what we really love doing is collecting as much information as possible, allowing you to do that and sending it into an input. And the more detailed the input is, the more guarantees we can show you how to create with the output. And it eliminates the guesswork. So Nate has been on a lot of these uh, conversations. So have I, Brock, you've been on a ton of them. And when you get to really show people, as your dad says a lot of times, the financial physics of their life, people start having aha moments. And they're like, how come I was never taught that? And it's something that your dad will say often, and I, I may be butchering the exact wording and order, but he basically goes gets into the point of, I'm not against any of these things in general, but I am against, Brock, you're shaking your head. You know how he says what he says. Okay, he says, if you need to jump in and tell me, make sure I get it right. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, when keep, he's, going. keep going. He says, I'm not against <laughs> any of these things, but I am against the way I always think about it is basically having money taking for, taken from us when we could do something different about it. That's the premise of how my brain processes it every time he says it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. these are, let's touch on that real quick. Yes, we're always using the mindset of infinite banking, mm-hmm. but that's just because it's the process that allows us to protect our greatest asset first to then go create opportunity to protect our greatest asset. It's really all it is. And so let's touch on the simplicity of removing hope from a financial strategy and what that creates for people long-term or short, short-term too. So I would say here, so um, I learned this from one of my mentors, Mike Ison, but every person, everybody needs a little bit of risk in their life. So let me say that we're not saying only go buy guaranteed vehicles and only do guaranteed. guaranteed. Absolutely. We all need, we all need some level of risk. However, we have a lot of control over that risk. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when we look at our financial life, what I like to do is I like to say, okay, well, here's our baseline plan. Here's, here's where we're going that we know, you know, if we don't ever do anything, we take the lazy way in life, we might be okay, right? But then we have a comfortable plan where we're, we're starting to dream a little bit. We're stepping out. We're learning a little bit more stuff. And then we ultimately have the wealthy plan, which is, hey, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go out and get it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to do the things that I want to do and go learn to create this wealthy path for myself and the generations to come. And so I would say that, as we look at our own life, we, we need to be asking ourselves clarifying questions on what it is we actually want mm-hmm. in this life, right? Because I talk to a lot of people all day long and they'll come to me and they'll ask questions like, where should I put my money? You know, how, how do I get to return? And what we need to be asking is, you know, what do we want retirement to look like? What do we want our life to look like? If we put our money somewhere, what's the purpose of it? A lot of people think that investing is only the stock market. 
Well, the best investment you could ever make is in yourself. And there's so many other investments out there. But a lot of times the question is, where should I invest my money? And it's always in almost every time is correlated with the stock market. Like, where should I put my put my money in the stock market? And to me, it's like, I have no idea. Um, one, I have n I don't know hardly anything about you. But the second question is, well, if we put money in the stock market, why are we putting it there? What's the purpose of it? What is it going to do for us? Are we just doing it to grow money? Are we going to take income from it? Are we just going to let it sit and then one day take income from it? What are we expecting? Are we expecting a 12% rate of return every single year? Or are we are we expecting a 12% average? Because there's a massive difference between an actual return and an average return. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to get extremely clear on where it is that we're wanting to go in the life that we're wanting to create and then how to become super efficient at creating the maximum amount of benefits and money supply to, to help us reach our maximum financial potential throughout our, our lifetime and making sure that whatever plan we choose, we build it in a way that it's going to work under any and all circumstances. Well, a couple things that I think about is, you know, one, everybody has a certain amount of planned losses in their life. Um, and this goes back to things that, that we've learned from Trent. So eliminating as many of those planned losses along the way automatically creates an environment for yourself where even though we don't necessarily think about we're in competition with one another necessarily, we kind of are in a way because the more efficient we are with what we're doing, the more opportunities it creates for us over and above someone else. Um, so eliminating as many plan losses as possible and something that goes along with that is reducing the probability of failure as much as you possibly can is something else we've learned. And there's a, a whole lot of personal finance people out there today that basically show people, hey, if everything works out great, this is what you can expect. But they don't actually create a floor and, and eliminate the probability of failure to show people how they can actually achieve those things with certainty and control and those things that we talk about. So uh, reducing planned losses and reducing the probability of failure are two very, very important pieces in your financial life. You know, it's, it's about growth, yes, but it's about protection and growth together and how those work, how those things can help you achieve those things and, um, you know, make sure that you don't get derailed the way other people would get derailed. Nate, let me, let me jump in there. So Come on. this is a conversation that, um, I learned from one of my mentors that I look up to. His name is Vince Dodona, massive guy in the industry. So we all, we all run on two parallel paths, right? We run, we run on our protection path. We run on our wealth accumulation path and their parallel paths. The protection path, path deals with the type, the amount, and the positioning of that protection. And there's usually three types. There's death, life insurance, disability, and liability, right? Those are the three main um, aspects of insurance. 
Then on our wealth accumulation curve, this deals with our short-term and our long-term capital needs, things like buying cars, houses, and ultimately and possibly retirement, right? The reality is that money doesn't just show up. Like we can't put $10,000 in our 401k today and tomorrow it's a million dollars, right? For our wealth building curve, our maximum financial potential curve to materialize, it takes time, right? And so as we look at this, there's one massive problem of this curve. We have no God-given right to this curve, right? So when we look at this curve and, and the hope of it materializing, what we often see is in our financial world from traditional planning is, oh, well, don't ever worry about protection. Don't ever worry about backstops. All we got to do is continue to put more money into the market, right? If we had a water bucket with holes in it, there would they would tell you to pour more water in and pour it faster rather than just plug the holes. And if we can plug the holes, we can figure it out. But so let me ask you this question. For our curve to materialize, Nate, how many things have to go right? Hmm. You're talking about traditionally, right? Yep. Like yep. in the traditional way. In, uh, in all ways. In all ways. Yeah, how many a, have to go a right? lot of a lot of things have to go right. Or a better, easier way is probably saying everything, right? Yeah, everything's gotta go right. <laughs> How many things have to go wrong for it not to? Not many. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> one. Just one. Just one. Right? Yep. And what we often forget is we can protect against those things. Mm. Almost all of them we can protect against. Okay? And That's so good. when we look at somebody's financial life, when you look at your own financial life, we have to realize that there's a big factor in our wealth creation, which is called time, and we have to hedge against that with the protections that we can put in place so that our probability of success goes higher rather than the hopeful possibility of us getting to whatever we hope our number is. Because what you're going to be positioned in front of by a traditional advisor is, oh, well, you can get 11% rate of return over 40 years, and you're going to be able to retire with this much money in the bank. Yeah, well, ask about fees, ask about market losses, ask about um, taxes. Ask about what happens if the first two years of, of your retirement from your wonderful nest egg that you have a down market, right? Broke think believes that insurance is a necessary evil. Wealth think believes that insurance is a privilege. The, the visual that I had there is I'm standing on the beach about to embark in my boat on a passage of life. And I know I'm going to go from this beach of life to that beach of life. And the points you guys just made are awesome. To think that I'm going to get in that boat of life and head in a direction and make it to my destination without high winds, choppy waters, uh, you know, missing, you know, getting off course navigationally is really fool's gold. Let me give you a very good example of why. And I'm going to throw myself under the bus for everybody to see that we are real people. Brock mentioned earlier the importance of knowing what you are as an investor before what you're going to invest in. Okay. And the more things that you can create with certainty to protect before doing any investment, the more sound you have, the more 
clear path you have of how it will return to you. All right. So we're in real estate and we're doing a fix and flip in Missouri, me and my brother. And we'd used a contractor a couple of times. It's been a, been a great thing. And the very short version is, is life got tough for that contractor. And he began lying to us about what was going on. And we weren't eyes, boots on the ground. And we didn't have safety measures in place to plug that hole like Brock was talking about. And long story short, the project's still going. But he basically devoured because of his life changing and not notifying us all the profit. And that's really what happened. So now we're at a point to where we're trying to finish the project to just break even. That's the goal. This is the goal of where I personally felt like I was headed on the traditional financial plan. And let me, let me say this and why, and let me tie it into what we love doing and why we think we have the greatest job in the world is because I did not have anybody advocating and being willing to coach me for my financial success from 22 years old to 36. I had an advisor or two that only checked in about once a year or when I called them, that's it. But I had nobody advocating, giving me a clear cut path to go, Brandon, this is how you plug the holes first. These are the known things that are going to happen that we can protect against. And then this is some ideas of a path you could take based off of what kind of investor you are. So one thing that your dad has really taught us to, to really ask, questions more than anything. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Brock. Let's take a step back. Before we ever think about why you where you're going to put your money, let's ask why. Why do you want to put your money there? And and you want people in your life that will do this. If you want to grow and get places with certainty, you need people around you who are willing to ask you loving, tough questions. So when you ask the question why, when I was putting money in my 401k, my Ross, my matches, getting all this, I couldn't tell you why other than that's what everybody else does because that's what I was told to do. So I just did it because I thought that was the norm. But once, like Nelson said, Nelson Nash wrote Becoming Your Own Banker. He said, once we know what the problem is, we'll know what to do. There's a key piece in that that I can tell you six years later. Now I have so much clarity on what I should be doing that when I get off course or there's noise going on, I don't get it. It's easier to sift through it because you know the truth. So, well, you guys, just to, ahead, like just to break it down very simply for someone who, who's listening, uh, the main problem that we all have in our life is that there is money that is leaking out of our life that we don't even realize. Someone is always going to be controlling the banking function in your life. It's either going to be you or it's going to be someone else. And so when we have the ability to create a system that we own and control, that gives us the ability to recover that opportunity cost, which is which are those dollars that are leaking out. Um, we get to, uh, uh, you know, theoretically plug the holes in the boat and we get to experience that consistent pressure on our dollars to grow long term. And so when Nelson said, when you understand the problem, you'll know what to do. The problem is someone's always going to be controlling the banking function. Um, the solution is that needs to be you. What I really like about that, Nate, and it alludes to, it connects back to everything that we've been saying indirectly or directly. I think about the parable of the house built on sand and you know the wind comes through and it blows it down. This is kind of how most people's path, mine included for 15 years, is, oh, I hope a storm doesn't come in. And then the storm comes in and the house gets ruined or, you know, 
takes on some damage and you got to rebuild and you got to start over again. Okay. So the most important thing we can do is build our foundation and our foundation is ourself because you can't build anything on a foundation that's shaky. This is why we love what we do is we're putting the power of thinking about how you think in your hands with the resources and the knowledge and the insight to go on a learning journey to go, well, maybe I am missing something. Maybe what I have been taught is misguided intentionally or unintentionally. You know, we want to give people the benefit of the doubt or it's just a misunderstanding that people teach. And I'll say this, the amount of money I spent on my personal improvement before I read becoming your own banker was about a couple hundred bucks. Maybe I hate to even admit that out loud. Okay. Besides if it was related to like, that's about it compared to what I've spent on myself now that Nate and I have invested in ourselves. You are your greatest investment. Why wouldn't you protect it? And I think that's really what we all get to do every day is we get to reinvigorate that people were created more for more than just collecting a paycheck and depositing it somewhere for no explanation of why to get to a time where they don't know what they're going to do when they get there in the go-go or the no-go years. And I think that's why we have, I think one of the most privileged jobs in the world to help people see those things. So let me me jump in, Brandon, and then we can wrap up. Yep. One of the hardest things about wealth creation is that it takes time. Hmm. And what we often forget is that very thing of it taking time. And so what I tell people is we're always on this. Most people are on what I like to call the race to 65. And they're trying to hit this big number, this great investment to have this now just a giant pile of cash that they could be like, okay, I'm good now. What we need to realize is the hardest part outside of just taking our time is being diligent in the plan that we have to move forward. So the best plan in finances is a series of one year plans rather than one big 30 year plan. Cause as soon as you lay one 30 year plan down, it has to change that very next week, probably. Right. If not the second it gets laid on the table, we need to be able to be in a position to where we're really just uh, calibrating how we're handling our finances. And our, and our foundation comes from the fact of how are we investing in ourselves? How is it, what is our financial education and our knowledge? What is our, what are the war chests that we're building up? I see way too often young families maxing out their 401ks before they even have six months worth of savings in their emergency fund. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you'll be told, Oh, well, it's okay. Cause we can pull our money out if a hardship comes. Well, I think I would much rather just be able to stroke a check from the bank rather than having to call HR, then the investment company, then the four rank and running through all those. So we need to first step back and say, okay, what's our clarity of where we're going now? Once we have our clarity, building our foundation up and being okay with the fact that we might not invest for a year or two. Mm. But once we have our foundation, what I tell a lot of people is building the foundation is the tough part. Getting to the top is easy. We just have to figure out what the top is for us. Mm -hmm. And so if we can spend just a little bit of time 
being diligent and disciplined in building our foundation out, we can eventually get to a spot that we not didn't even think was possible in our finances. That's good. It's a real good uh, way to end. Listen, we appreciate anyone who is taking the time to listen. It is a tremendous help if you find any value to hit those like and subscribe buttons. Uh, you can all, also email us at cashflowlegends with a Z at gmail.com. Drop any question you have. If you're curious, you know, what does it look like to begin to learn more with, uh, with you guys? Uh, I can tell you, you are looking at three guys who come from hearts of teachers who want to help you find the path you know you're supposed to be on. And if you're on it, we want to help you get clarity on how to succeed at a higher level on it. And if you're not, we're going to help you figure out, hey, you're meant for something greater. This is how we can help you get on there if you're willing to do the work and rethink your thinking. So thank you for your time today. We look forward to uh, connecting with you next time. It's a blessing that we get to do this. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one.